Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 2. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 2. We're continuing with our series of the Gospel Record of Mark and we're watching the early stages of Jesus' earthly ministry. At this time, he's already been biblically baptized. He's been out in the wilderness facing the temptations. And now, he's starting to call his disciples unto himself. At this time, we've already witnessed within the Gospel Record of Mark that he has called Andrew and Peter. He has called James and John. And now, Jesus is continuing to call others to follow after him in the work. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and look with me, if you don't mind, in the Gospel record of Mark chapter number 2. The Gospel record of Mark chapter number 2. And notice with me in verse number 13. The Gospel record of Mark chapter 2. And in verse number 13, the Word of God says this, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, And he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they say unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. And they came and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. Then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filled up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilt, and the bottles will be marred. But the new wine must be put into new bottles. And it came to pass that as he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the disciples said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And they 
And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was unhungered, he and they that were with him? And how he went to the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful but to eat for the priest, and gave also them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And with this, we see as the Pharisees begin to uh, notice Jesus Christ and begin to look at his earthly ministry, and we could see their response was criticism. And so with the Lord's help, I want to take this passage here and show you three specific times here where the Pharisees criticized Jesus with the message, the criticism of the Pharisees. The criticism of the Pharisees. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house today, to be gathered together around your word. And we're asking as we learn more about the life of Christ that we could see what you are doing here and how you respond when others criticized you. And that we could apply it to our own lives as well from your example. If Lord, fill me with your precious spirit and that you would be a blessing to everyone who's in the sound of my voice. Do a work, love on people, encourage people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have here an account of three different times the Pharisees began to criticize Jesus Christ. If you don't mind, the very first thing I'd like to show you is the criticism of his friends. The criticism of his friends. Notice with me again in verse number 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, we often know him as Matthew. And so what he sees, he sees Matthew working. Matthew. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, once again, we can see this idea of this disciples. When he went to Andrew and Peter, they were in their fishing business. Jesus said, Follow me. They left all. You had James and John who were inside of their business with their father. And Jesus said, follow me. And they left all, including their dad, to follow after him. Once again, we see it repeated here with a man by the name of Levi, again, whom we know as Matthew. Now, Jesus called Levi and he left all. Now, this is an interesting pick because Matthew was a publican. You say, what is a publican? A publican was a Jewish collaborator. He was someone that worked for the hated Roman government. Now, if you could remember the landscape of the political scene here, is that the 
Israelites, the Hebrew people, had never truly been conquered by Rome. Rome was in a conquering uh, frenzy. They were conquering the whole world at this time. But the Hebrew people were never conquered. They were kind of sold in a backdoor uh, trade by someone who didn't have that authority. And so could you imagine the Hebrew people one day being told, Hey, guess what? Good news, everyone. You're part of the Roman government. The people were not happy with that decision, but they could do nothing about it. And so because they didn't join the Roman uh, Empire willingly, and because they were not conquered, they were very much dissatisfied, and there were rebellions all the time. There were people that just hated the Roman government. That just seemed to be the whole temperament of every Hebrew person. They hated the Roman government. Well, the Roman government still needed a function, and so they needed some people to work between the Roman government and the Hebrew people. And so one of these great people that had the privilege of serving the Roman government against the people would be a tax collector. A publican. That's what a publican was. Is they were Jewish collaborators who worked with the Roman government. To the rest of the Hebrew people they were traitors. Because they betrayed their own country. And they are validating the Roman rule over the people. And so tax collectors are already hated people already. Uh, IRS people in our country. Most people do not like them. So you can imagine a job that already people hate. Put on top of that, working for a government that people hate, and you've got someone that people hate doubly or exponently. They hate publicans. And so here's a man who was serving as a tax collector. You can imagine he was doing his receipts. He was tallying his books when Jesus comes in and says, hey, follow me. And Matthew got up from his books, got up from his job, quit that day, and began to follow after Jesus Christ. Now that's pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Now, Matthew responded to this great honor of following after Christ by having a dinner at his house. His desire was to have his new friends meet his old friends. So could you imagine all the people that was rejected by the Hebrew people? Those were Matthew's old friends. Other tax collectors. Other sinners. People that... Uh, would be looked down upon by the rest of the super religious Hebrew people. Those were the people that Matthew had to hang out with because there was no other choice. And so he takes all of his sinner friends and he meets them with Jesus and the disciples and everyone following Jesus. And then also enter in a third group of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, they were interested because they've been hearing about this Jesus guy. They've been hearing about some of the miracles he's been doing, some of the teaching that he has. They've been hearing about demons uh, possessed people standing up in the middle of a synagogue service and shouting at Jesus and Jesus tearing the uh, demon out and the man's now fine and, and how that would disrupt services. And they've heard about all these stories and they want to see for themselves. The problem is, is that they are super, super religious who think they're better than everyone else. And as they're surveying the room, they have on this side all of Jesus' followers. Okay? Then over on this side, there are sinners and publicans, the traitors. And as they're watching this, Jesus is talking to everyone. 
He's fellowshipping and spending time with everyone. And it starts to have the Pharisees scratch their head. Why? If he's supposed to be some holy guy, why is he defiling himself with sinners? Notice, if you don't mind, as the story goes on in verse 15. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in his house, that his is Levi, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him, that's Jesus, eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now in verse 16, notice who the Pharisees address. There's still too much of awe of who Jesus is to talk to him directly. So they go to his disciples. Hey, hey, James, come here, come here. Hey, you know who I am, right? I, I am a, I'm the great rabbi teacher of the synagogue down the street, you know, and everyone comes and hears me, but you know. Why is it that your master eats with those sinners? Does he not realize that lady over there has been in adultery? Does he realize that guy over there, he goes to houses of ill repute? You know that guy over there? You know what he does? He's a traitor. You know that guy, they could point out, look at all those sinners and say, I thought your master was supposed to be a religious leader. He was supposed to be a holy man of God. Why in the world does he spend time with those lowlifes, those sinners? And they would say sinners as if it was the worst thing you could ever call anybody. You, 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 you sinner! How can he sit with those sinners? Verse 17, Jesus hears their conversation. And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus uh, talks to their criticism. Their criticism is, why does your master sit with sinners? And Jesus' response was, I came to heal the sick. Those that don't think they need saving, they don't need to be saved. This idea of salvation, by the way, carries the idea of deliverance. In the type of salvation we speak about from the Bible dealing with theological terms, it means that we're delivered from the penalty of hell because we're sinners. Well, if somebody is super righteous and super religious and thinks that their good works are going to take them to heaven, then they don't need a savior in their mind because they think they can make it to heaven on their own. Jesus says, hey, I'm not here to take those who think they're fine. I'm here to help those that know they're not. I'm here to be a physician to those that are sick. They're sick full of sin. They recognize that they have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Because of their sin, they deserve to be separated from God and go to an awful place called hell. Romans 6.23 finishes off that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said, I came to work with sinners. If they don't think they need a Savior, 
I'll go to somebody who thinks they need a savior and I'll work with them. Now, the Pharisees didn't know what to make of that because he's went to help sinners. We don't help sinners. We tell them how to be perfect. And I'm sorry, they can't make it. They're not going to make it. That was a problem. They had a criticism by who Jesus was dealing with. But Jesus explained, I'm just trying to tell people how they could have their sins forgiven. That's how he answered that criticism. Why do you go out and deal with people who are not righteous? You understand, when people come to a church, the very first time they come to a church is because they have an issue. There's something wrong unless they're already in the habit of going to church and they're visiting or just moved in the area. The reason why people go to church is because they're looking for answers. There's something messed up in their life. They're sinners who need a savior. People who think they're doing fine, they're not going to come to church. So when we go out there and we start inviting people to come to church, you know who we're going to get? We're not going to get everyone who's automatically has the right haircut, the right dress, the right language, the right uh, speech, with the right mindset. We're going to bring in people who don't have the right haircut, the right clothes, the right speech, the right whatever. We're going to get people who have all of that stuff messed up. And you know why? Because we need to tell them they're a savior. They're searching for someone. Those are the people we have to go after and help them get closer to the Lord. Of course, people are going to criticize. Why are you allowing those sinners into church? Well, we allowed you. Why not them? There's going to be people who criticize. But Jesus had it right. Jesus came to save those which were lost. He came to be a physician to those that were sick. He came to help those that were sinners. But people are going to criticize. Notice if you don't mind, there is a second criticism levied at Jesus Christ. He had, first of all, the criticism of his friends. The people that he hung out with. The people that he was eating with. He had the criticism of his friends. The second criticism was the criticism with fasting. The criticism... With fasting. Notice with me in verse 18. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they came and said unto him. Now this is interesting. Notice the two groups that are coming to criticize this time. We already know the Pharisees are going to be part of it. But it says, and the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. So here are two different groups. The Pharisees are super, super religious. And then you have the disciples of John who were taught right. And they come together and they said, have you ever noticed any of Jesus' disciples fasting? How come they don't fast? You know what? That's a problem. We're supposed to fast. And so finally they get enough bravery to ask Jesus about it. Notice again in verse 18. And the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. And they came to him and said unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples do not? Now, let me explain the the type of fasting. The Pharisees fasted because of their religion. They wanted to fast to prove I am close to God. And the reason why I could prove I'm close to God is because every week I choose to fast. And I tell everyone about it because I'm super religious. 
It was one of the ways they could prove in their mind of their religion. Meanwhile, the disciples of John, they fasted to prove their repentance. They said, I'm proving that I'm sincere about following God, and I prove it by fasting. That is some evidence that I am trusting in God. I'm my proof of God. And so you have the two groups that fast for different reasons. One for religion, one to prove their repentance. And so they come up to Jesus and his disciples. How come you don't fast? How come your disciples don't fast? Why aren't you teaching fasting? And so notice Jesus answered to their criticism. Verse 19. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So Jesus says, listen, they're having the groom with them. Can you imagine this setting? A wedding. All right. So in the wedding, you have the groom and you got the bride and you got the wedding party. You got the best man. You got the bridesmaids. You got everyone there. And you can imagine they have a table set up as they're preparing for the wedding feast. Can you imagine this? Everyone, the wedding feast, they're making the preparation. They're doing the toast. Maybe it's the wedding rehearsal night. All right. So the wedding rehearsal is only open for uh for family, for close friends, for those who are there. They're having the wedding uh, feast. And they're making a toast. And they're letting everyone um, participate. But yet, the best man says, you know, uh, I'm fasting right now. I'm sorry. I know that everyone's eating and stuff. And I'm up here right by the, by the groom. But, you know, I'm fasting and so I can't eat. I can't participate. Is that proper manners? No, that's not a bright time to fast. When you're having a celebration, when you're having a special time like that, that's not the time to fast. In fact, all the, the brides do their fasting leading up to the wedding. So that way they could be in the shape they ought to be. I was talking with someone not too long ago, and she was telling me about how she's fasting and working out, doing everything she can in preparation for the wedding. But when the wedding comes, she's not going to fast any longer. Because the cele it's celebration time. You don't see a bride saying, you know, no, I can't eat today. No, I know I got this wedding cake and we paid hundreds and whatever they paid for it. I know it's there and I know it's proper to go ahead and feed the cake to him and he feeds the cake to me. But nope, I'm counting calories today. Now's not the time. Is that the time to celebrate? Is, is that the time to fast? Not at all. Jesus is saying, I'm here. When you have the Lord with you, that's not time to fast when he's present right with you. But he says in verse 20, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days. We know that Jesus Christ is not bodily here on earth now. We are praying for his return, but he is not with us now. Now is the time for us to fast. But when Jesus Christ comes back, are we going to fast then? I'm praying for Jesus to come. He's right here. No, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. He's right there. But now when he is not here bodily is the time for us to fast and pray and to get a hold of God that is proper. But while Jesus was there, that's not the time to fast. That's the time to rejoice that you're with your Savior. Now, Jesus goes on and takes this and begins to teach a little bit more. Notice with me in verse number 21. 
No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. So imagine in your mind that you have your favorite sweater, your favorite shirt. Everyone's got one of those, your favorite uh, uh, clothes. And you've worn it so long. I mean, it's those guys who are now 50 years old that you still have your favorite shirt from high school and you barely fit into it. But it is so thread-born. I mean, you could see through it. You could see the holes and everything. It is barely staying together. And so the guy says, you know what? I really love this sweater. And I know that you could see through it. It almost looks like a sheer shirt right now. But I love this shirt so much. And it's got a little tear in it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a brand new patch. A brand new clothes. I know that the shirt's 20 years old. And the patch is, you know, a couple days old. But let's put this patch on this shirt. And we're going to sew it together. And it's going to patch it up. And I can wear this shirt for another 20 years. But that's not how it goes. Because that shirt is already weak in integrity, it's already weak in its fabric, that new patch is actually going to tear that old shirt even worse and make it where it's not repairable. For those of you who do sewing, you understand that. That you can't take something that's already tore up to shreds and try to patch job it. It will not work. Not the way that it should be. Jesus here is speaking of Judaism. He was not coming to fix the religion of Judaism. He wasn't here to patch it up. He was there to replace it with something else. That he was not here to reinstitute the the Levitical laws, all 613 of them. He was not there to set up the brand new government that has all the Judaism laws set up. Jesus said, I came to give them something new. I'm not here to patch the problem that we have. Remember what the Pharisees have done. That they have taken their law and they had a commentary. And then they had a commentary on the commentaries. And they majored on those commentaries. Jesus said, I'm not here to get a part of that. I came to give something brand new. Notice again as he tells it in a different way in verse number 22. And no man putteth new wine in old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the old bottles, and the wine is spilt. And the bottles will be marred, but the new wine must be put into new bottles. All right, same type of illustration, different. We know that oftentimes wine and oil are pictures of the Holy Spirit. So imagine this. You cannot put the Holy Spirit in an old life. It will break it open. What you have to have is the Holy Spirit must be poured into a brand new life. Jesus Christ has made us new creatures. All things become new, the Bible says. The old things are passed away. Then when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we become a new creature. And the Holy Spirit can now indwell in the new creature. That Jesus didn't want to put the Holy Spirit into an old vessel of the old man and not be fixed. It's not how it works. Jesus said, I'm not here to do a patch job. I'm not here to try to revive something that's dead. I'm here to give something brand new, the brand new life in Christ, the brand new following after him. I'm not here to fix religion. I'm here to give people a personal relationship with a savior. 
And so we start off with the criticism of friends. Why are you hanging out with those sinners? Jesus said, I came to tell them about me. Tell them how they can have forgiveness of sins. You have to go out and reach those sinners for the Lord. Not the righteous. Those that have issues. Those that have problems. Those are the ones that need to be reached. The Pharisees would it came and began to criticize them. Why aren't you fasting? I thought you were religious. Jesus said, that's not what I came to do. These people are here celebrating because they have their Savior with them. They don't have to pray for their Savior. Their Savior is here now. And Jesus said, you have a misunderstanding of what we have to do. There will be a time for their fasting later. Now they have Jesus with them bodily. Then there's another criticism that comes. They had criticism with his friends. Criticism with fasting. Now we can see criticism with feasting. Criticism with feasting. So of course the Pharisees are looking for something to criticize him with. Notice with me in verse number 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. Now remember their Sabbath day is a Saturday. And it is their day that they're supposed to set aside to go ahead and spend with the Lord. Now, what happened is, remember, they have the commentaries on the commentaries. And their most holiest law that they have made up in their minds is the Sabbath day. And they put on restrictions and rules. Even today, our Orthodox Jewish friends who practice that orthodoxy, they understand that according to their commentaries, they can't do any work that day, and that includes turning on and off a light. So on the Sabbath day, an orthodox Jewish person today cannot turn on a light switch. That's work. Well, that's a problem because your refrigerator has a light that automatically comes on. And so if they open up their light or open their refrigerator and their light comes on, they've done work and they've broken the Sabbath. Oh, no. So what they have to do is on Friday night before sundown, they go to the refrigerator and they unscrew the light bulb so that way it doesn't turn on when they open the refrigerator. And then when the sun goes down on Saturday night, they screw it back in. So that way they won't be in danger of doing work. Now, does that sound pretty complicated? That's not a type of thing I want to do where you have to count how many steps you make outside of your house that day. Otherwise, you're breaking the Sabbath. I meant they're already ready for quarantine on Saturdays. <clears throat> but here, they have all of these rules about what they're allowed to do. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 23 again. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day and his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. Now, up here in Wisconsin, you guys are used to cornfields. Can you imagine just a beautiful sunny day? You're walking past some cornfields. They're nice and ripe. And so as they went by, you're hungry. The disciples grabbed an ear of corn. Hey, ready to eat. But the disciples said, stop! Stop, you sinners! You have broken the most sacred law of all. You worked on the Sabbath day. For the Pharisees, just taking a stalk of corn from a, a corn cob from a stalk is considered work. And to them, they have broken all religious rules. They have broken everything because they picked an ear of corn. And the Pharisees are upset. Notice again verse 24. 
And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold! That's almost like they need. Behold, look! Look! Why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Look at them! They're sitting! Correct them! Show them! They've broken the law! And he said unto them, Have you never read? He says, All right, let's turn to your Bibles then. Have you never read what David did when he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the uh, house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave them also which were with him. So they go back to the story. Remember when David was fleeing from Saul? And he went to the city of Nob where the tabernacle was and Abathar met with him and David said hey you got anything to eat you got any weapons oh, I got the sword of Goliath yeah I'll take that and you got anything to eat and he says we only had the table of showbread and uh, that was just freshly replaced now in those tabernacle days in the temple days what they would do is they would break uh, bake a fresh loaf every week and then they would dedicate it to the Lord and keep it in the tabernacle when they would replace that loaf with a new fresh loaf those they would take that bread and not to waste it, they would allow the priest to eat off of it. Well, Abathar says, well, we got this fresh loaf and we've got this old uh, showbread and we were fixing to eat it. And David said, that works. Let me take that. Or, and he says, here, take this. And so David ate this, even though by law, it was only supposed to be given to the priest. But here, it was an extra circumstance. It was something that went on. And Abathar, the high priest, said, here, take this, even though it was against those traditions, those laws. And Jesus said, didn't you read your Bible? Haven't you read? He said, this is found in the Bible. It's fine. It's going to be all right. Then he goes and explains this in verse 27. And he said unto them that the Sabbath was made for man. And not man for the Sabbath. Meaning that the Sabbath was made to help us. It was not made to make us a slave to the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was meant for us to rest. And be able to spend our time and concentration on the Lord. To spend time with Him. But the Pharisees had made it so it was not a restful day. Not if I have to count my steps and make sure I don't turn any lights and don't start a fire and don't do this work and can't do this and don't do this and do all these other things. That's not very restful. They had made it so it was impossible to have a restful day because there were so many complications. Remember, God always makes things simple. Man makes things complicated. Jesus just said, hey, listen, the Sabbath was made for man to rest and be with God. Not the other way around. Man is not the servant to the Sabbath day. He says, verse 28, therefore, the son of man, that's Jesus, is Lord also of the Sabbath. He says, by the way, I'm the one who made the Sabbath. I can do with whatever I want. It is fine. It's going to be all right. And so we could see these three things of criticism. Now, I don't know if it makes you feel better or not, but remember who they're criticizing. They're criticizing Jesus. They found fault with Jesus. Now, Jesus is perfect in everything he did. He never did anything wrong, but yet they found something to criticize him with. Now, if Jesus was not 
did not have the absence of criticism. May I also tell you that you're never going to be absent of criticism. Someone will say, I don't want people to criticize me. Then do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. But as long as you're going to follow the Lord, there's going to be criticism. Dr. Curtis Hudson used to say this, that when they start kicking you in the rear, you know that you have the lead. As long as you are going to follow Christ, there's going to be someone that criticizes you. And oftentimes the worst critics are church people. Just mark it down, people are going to criticize. You're never going to make everyone happy. The only person you're supposed to please is the Lord. If you please other people along the way, that's a blessing. You don't want to try to antagonize people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he's the one. And by the way, it's much easier to please God than people sometimes. Criticism is going to happen. How do you handle criticism? Well, one of the things, if you're doing what's right and you're trying to follow the Lord, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. They will criticize you for following God. And when that happens, their, their problem is with God and it's not with you. We understand there's lots of things that people criticize us for. You're one of those crazy people who believe going to church on Sunday nights? That, that's cultish. Wednesday nights? That's just unbelievable. Who would do such a thing? I remember my personal testimony. My own mom pulling me aside when I was a teenager, when I began to go to church for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and they had the intervention. They gathered the whole family together, sat me down and said, we're very concerned. We're starting to think you're getting too religious. Are you a part of a cult? What? Why do you say that? You're going to church all the time and reading your Bible. That's not right. Why isn't it? You understand? People are going to criticize. No matter what you do, people are going to criticize. Might as well just follow the Lord and get criticized for that. You're one of those people who give money to the church. Don't you understand? The pastor only wants your money so he can get rich. Well, that's not happening here. All we're trying to do is follow the Lord and trying to do what's right and trying to there, trust God with what he has given us. What do you mean you're reading your Bible every day? You're, what are you, some kind of weirdo? Yeah, I guess. God says we're peculiar. People are going to criticize you. You're one of those people that knock on doors. You're one of those crazy people. I know there's crazy people out there that don't knock doors. We're just trying to tell people about the Lord. You understand you're going to get criticized. You cannot take it personally. In fact, what we're supposed to do is bring them to the Lord. That's how we respond to criticism is so important. Because we want to be able to take those same people that are criticizing them, us, and point them to the Lord. If they're not saved, we want them to come to know Christ as their Savior. For those who are saved who are criticizing, we want to be patient with them so that way they can grow with the Lord and be as crazy as we are, just following after God. Criticism is going to happen. You know what you have to determine? Is that you're going to have to determine not to defend yourself. You're just going to have to determine to be on God's side. One of my favorite illustrations on this is in the book of Joshua. Joshua is preparing to take over Jericho. And as he's taking some time by himself, he sees a rider come and with a sword. And Joshua says, hey, are you for us or are you for them? And the rider says, neither. I'm on my side. 
I'm the captain of the Lord of the host. And what Joshua did said, never mind, I'm on your side. So often when we get criticized, we take it personally and we feel like we have to justify ourselves. We have to prove that we're right. Well, you know what? God's not interested in making us right. We should be every in, have every interest to be right, meaning that we're on God's side. We're not supposed to let God defend our side. We're supposed to be on the Lord's side, and God will take care of his own work. Just jump to God's side and understand you need to point people to God. Even those who are criticizing you, you're supposed to have such a sweet testimony and a sweet response. Jesus wasn't yelling at them. He explained to them. He explained them from the Bible. He explained to them what he was doing. He explained to them that it was all for the glory of God and that God knew what he was doing. That's all we're supposed to do. Point people to the Lord. When they criticize you, point people to the Lord. When they criticize you, point people to the Lord. Don't take it personally. Don't try to defend yourself and fight with them. Smile at them. Point them to the Lord and pray for them. We have to work on this because we live in a time now where people cannot take criticism. You ever want to prove that? Put something on social media and see how well that goes. People do not take criticism well. We should respond differently. Especially if you're doing what's right and following after the Lord. Jesus was criticized when he did right. Do not be surprised when you are criticized for doing what's right. And so don't let that be a hindrance. There are many people, good people, who are fearful of what other people are going to say so much that it causes them to be disobedient to what God's told them to do. Don't let criticism hinder you from following after the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who is worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be served. And Lord, if there's a practical thing that we understand is how do we respond when people criticize us? Do we get hot under the collar? Do we get defensive? Do we want to fight? Do we feel like we have to explain to them until they finally understand? How do we respond to criticism? Help us to respond properly. And this, cause, this is a purposeful decision. This is something that we have to purposely decide to do, especially in the heat of the moment. Maybe some of you are being criticized now. Maybe you have some family members like I did and do that don't understand what you're trying to do. It's easy to get aggravated with them, especially with their family. But our job is to point them to God and be patient with them and accept criticism. Just put it aside. Don't let it make it personal. Maybe you have someone that's in your family that is criticizing you from where you go to church, criticizing you for where you give your money, criticizing you because you try to tell them about Jesus Christ. Again, accept that criticism well. Wear that. Set it aside. Don't take it personally. Maybe some of you just are aggravated with someone. Maybe there's someone at work. Maybe it's something. And just it seems like every time they want to say something bad about you. And it just aggravates you. Set it aside. 
Trust God with it. Go forward. We should respond to criticism differently. And remember, you're never going to have the absence of criticism. They criticized Jesus for doing what was right. You are going to be criticized too. Let them criticize us for doing what's right rather than things that are doing wrong. Lord, I'm asking that you would encourage those dear folks out here, especially in these upcoming days where there's going to be some criticism very soon for things that we do, choices we make, for witnessing to people, for telling people about the Lord, for inviting people to church. Lord, there's going to be some criticism coming up for how we respond in our church, how we respond to the things going on in our world now. There's a lot of indecision. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of fear. And there's going to be criticism. Help us to be a type of people that can trust you with no matter what the critics say. We love you, Lord. Do something amazing in our midst. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.